have that thing all the way down to 53. We'll be keeping an eye on all the cuts from around the NFL today, both for the Saints and UL and LSU alums, among other, some other potential local talent. Will they make the team? Won't they? Got a lot to uh, got a lot to follow today as we just get down closer to meaningful football games. No offense to Nebraska Northwestern or Austin P or Western Kentucky or Hawaii getting trounced on their own turf by Vanderbilt. Nah, I'm ready for week one. Week zero didn't even really feel like a tease, but here we are. We still got NFL stories going on, and one of them yesterday was Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, the uh, subway spokesman, returning to the 49ers, reworked a one-year contract, lowered his base salary by a ton. He was set to make $24.2 million. And he agreed to rework his contract. New deal is six and a half mil guaranteed, nine mil in incentives, a half a mil per game roster bonus. So he could make up to 16 million, but he would need to basically be the starter for the bulk of the season to hit a lot of those incentives. It does allow him to, to, to get to the free agent market next year, which is, I guess, been his agent's focus the whole time. So... On one hand, you could say, well, he could have not agreed to the pay cut and just gotten cut. But at this point, with the season you know, kicking off in, what, nine days? That Bills-Rams season opener on Thursday night, and then four days after that, everybody else. Well, everybody except the Monday night game. But you get my drift. It would not have been the most financial savvy move. So on one hand, you look at it and you're like, yeah, what are you doing, dude? Just, that's a pretty big pay cut. Just make them cut you and, and go. And on the other, you play the long game. It makes sense. But this, this is the part of the story that's interesting to me. And that is when you have your, your, your supposed quarterback of the future that you spent a very high draft pick on and you say publicly, he's our guy, we're starting him, he's the one, in Trey Lance, how does he react to it? Right? How does he react to it? For some, it's just what a player needs. Maybe it ticks him off, maybe it motivates him, having that other strong competition for others. They're constantly looking over their back. They're gripping the ball a little harder. They're spending a, a split second longer on each progression because they're not just letting the game come to them. They're thinking they're worried about making a mistake. They're looking behind their shoulder like, man, what if I mess up? And if you mess up, well, the backup, well, he's not the most um, talented quarterback in the league, has led that same team to a Super Bowl appearance to NFC championship game appearances and has friends throughout that locker room. So when he agrees to that deal and comes back and walks in that locker room, you got George Kittle, you got other guys who are like, Oh, Jimmy, what's up? Yeah. Now you got the young buck, Trey Lance looking around like, what? Okay. 
And yet, if you're San Francisco, you could try to convince yourself, well, if he can't handle the heat of having Jimmy as a backup, maybe he isn't the long-term answer. But then if that's the case, then what do you do with Jimmy G next year? Because he's going to leave as soon as he can when free agency hits. So there are a lot of layers to it. I think if you're just going to go all out, maybe you don't want Nate Sudfeld as your backup, but if you're going to go all in on your quarterback of the future, go all in. That's not exactly what's happening. Oh, he also has a no-trade clause. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? And and, and the weak spots on the Niners are the guard and center positions, directly in front of the quarterback. Hmm. Well, Garoppolo's an insurance poss- you know, policy. It seems odd. And, and the no trade clause thing is like if you're, a, if you're a quarterback, it really doesn't matter. No team is going to trade for you if you're not going to sign their long term anyway. So whether you have that policy in there or not, it doesn't matter. And if you're a star player that doesn't have a, a, no, a, you know, a no trade clause in your contract, you, you kind of have one unofficially built in anyway. Because again, when a team has to invest a lot in you and they're giving up, obviously, you know, picks and other assets because you're a star player. I'm not saying Garoppolo's a star player. He's a quarterback. But the no trade clause when it comes to starting quarterbacks or star players that aren't quarterbacks, they're more just, I don't know. They're more just ego incentives in a contract. They don't really make a difference one way or the other about what comes next. They don't. Russell Wilson didn't have to have a no-trade clause. A team wasn't going to give up everything they had to give up to get him if he wasn't going to go there anyway. He would have ended up in Denver whether he had that no-trade clause or not. But we'll see how the scenario plays out in San Francisco and whether this is a really good idea or a really bad idea. In college football, South Carolina... I would some say have have ended a story that has grabbed the headlines quite a bit. I don't agree with that. I think the story will follow that rooster for a long time. But the university chose a general as the name of their live rooster mascot. They had to change the name from Sir Big Spur. I don't really know the backstory of why, but um, Cock Commander did not get chosen. And the reason that became a story is because the local newspaper uh, in South Carolina put a, a poll together of 10 names that fans could vote on as to what they want to be named the next live mascot. And the 10 naming options of all of them, none of them were the general. And the thing is, the school's going to call it the general. The local media there will call it the general because they have to. Everyone else is calling that rooster cock commander, I'm just telling you. You can't can't put that genie back in the bottle. What's done is done. And that's what it is. That's what it is. 
ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Coming up later, this college football season, there are some teams that are auditioning in 2022. All this conference realignment shatter, the auditioning continues because we all know where this is going. The big super conferences, and there's still a few slots available for some programs. And they're taking this opportunity this year. If you ever going to go all in, in the sport of football, this is the time to do it. More on that coming up later. Jay Walker in studio in the 8 o'clock hour. Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints podcast next. Who's getting cut today? Who is going to be the surprise cut today? Who's going to be the surprise player that makes the team? We'll get his thoughts on that more when we come back after this. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. We're counting down the days till Raging Cajun football. I'm Jay Walker. Join Gerald Broussard, Cody Juno, and me from Cajun Field on Saturday, September 3rd. As Louisiana takes on Southeastern, kickoff time is 6.30 on your home of the Raging Cajuns. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. What up, guys? It's Scott Prather, and you know it. The wait is almost over. A new football season's about to begin. Let's get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. One more action for opening night. Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. That's it. Bet on any NFL team of your choice, and if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses that game. Guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code 1420 to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1420 only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or old. Physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles. Gambling problem? Call one 770 stop The best. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Why am I playing Broadway musicals? Because our next guest, formerly a Broadway actor, now doing an amazing job with the Locked On Network, host of the Saints Locked On podcast, writer, and uh, Saints insider, Ross Jackson, joins us now as we count down closer to the season opener september 11th good morning ross you ever just want to break into song when you hear some of your old tunes there <laughs> hey good morning brother look um I, I i don't want to take credit for something that i didn't necessarily do so i do want to say i was a broadway stage manager not a broadway actor um so so the answer to your question is that no one wanted me breaking out into song ever i i mean uh, i kind of i, I did 
I mean, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I do remember, I do remember some of the cues there in, uh, in, in that, in that, in that piece. So yeah, no, it's, it's still in me somewhere. <laughs> Broadway stage manager. No, but you did, you did do some acting though, right? Or am I off on that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I did. I did back in uh, college and everything, you know, when you get started in theater, when you usually get started there, it's because, you know, you want to act, you know, and you want to be out there. And stuff, but I didn't do terribly there. It's just that um, I I found stage management and just fell in love with it and went that route instead. And then you uh, went the sports media route, uh, and you've yeah. been you know it's it's grown quickly for you. And you know I'd say that regardless of where you go, the job you do makes a lot of difference. Clearly, if you're good at it, people will follow and read the content. But um, do you feel like it's? <laughs> I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Mm-hmm. Covering the Saints. Right. Is it a little different, a little more personal when you think of the fan base hearing Dennis Allen talk about Katrina and how he wasn't here, but he arrived six months later and the most emotional game ever was the dome coming game. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he didn't even really need to expound on it a ton, but you saw him start to get emotional. I remember being there that night, just the idea that it's it's more than just football. Um, If you're working your tail off doing all the same things you're doing, but it's locked on. Let's just not name a team, but maybe one that's eh, not as close to their fan base as the saints. Does it, uh, does it slap the same? Yeah, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. You know, I, I talk a lot on my show about how, you know, the connection between the new Orleans saints organization and the city of new Orleans is unique. It's one of the most, one of the most unique and I'll say one of the most, the strongest connections between team and fan base in sports, not even just the NFL, in sports. So, you know, if we say, like, you know, I'll, 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 I'll pick on my friend Jeff Carr and say, you know, locked on Reds and Cincinnati's not having that same kind of conversation. You know what I mean? And so I think that, you know, it, it is unique. It is specific. And, you know, I think that the, the other piece of it, too, is that personally for me, I mean, you know, I survived Hurricane Katrina myself. And everything, and I, I went through that. I've I've gone through many of the things that this fan base has gone through. I didn't get the chance to return to the dome coming game because there was no home for me to return to, and everything. And so, you know, but I did get to watch it on television. I did get to enjoy, you know, that victory. I did get to enjoy that rebirth. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that you know, one of the reasons why I, you know, dropped everything uh, when it came to that previous career and came to this is because I got the specific uh, opportunity to cover this team, this organization, this city. And that was a big part of my choice to, you know, completely, you know, 180 my trajectory in terms of my uh, my career. And so, yeah, it is unique. It is specific. And, and if you ask me, it's special. It made, it, 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 it created something different that, that moment in time. Like I, you know, my mother grew up a Saints fan. A lot of my family, she grew down. Grew up down the street from Tulane Stadium, had an uncle that worked mm-hmm. the game, selling beer. You know, we went to Saints games when I was a kid, Jim Mora, and then the god-awful Ditka era, and then, of course, Haslett. And there, look, there were, there were hardcore Saints fans, obviously, and it meant something, and it was special. But, when you know, 17 years ago when everything was unfolding, uh, and I remember I had just started working here. I'd been living in New Orleans, mm-hmm. just started working here, and haven't asked the question on the air. You know, have the Saints played their last game in New Orleans? And it was a fair question at the time. And mm-hmm. with with Tom Benson, you know, uh, 
Tom Benson uh, pre-06 is is viewed differently by Saints fans post-06. Guys, trust me, yeah. he was he was not celebrated. He was not a, uh, a a person that the fan base liked at all. He was wine and dining in you know a suite. Uh, with the, 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 the mayor of San Antonio and thinking of moving the team and wanting to move the team and taking out a full-page ad writing about how, you know, it's a business and, and things decisions have to be made. And then Paul Tagliabue was like, yeah, you ain't believe You're not moving. You're not, you're not going to get approval. You're not moving the team right now. And, you know, to Tom's credit, whatever, you know, with, made perhaps with the push of Tagliabue, he suddenly just kind of went all in and they revamped the dome and they opened it up. But, like, I think Ross, that fear of losing not just the team, but like the essence of of the city and and the culture, and you know, I think losing the team meant a lot to folks, you know, here in Lafayette and the surrounding areas, and then you know, right there in the heart of New Orleans. And for anyone that had lived there, it was like also it it wasn't just the team; it was kind of an all encompassing thing, and so. Sometimes you just you don't know what you got till it's gone. I, I think it created this stronger bond, and it 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 brought in more fans. But it it, it made it made it, that connection got much deeper at that moment in time when they kicked off in '06. And I think uh, the fact that they were good definitely helped in a big way. But it it just the bond was there. Pre Katrina, but it was different. And once it, you know, once they came back for Dome coming, and it, it just, it hasn't faded. I guess is where I'm going at. I think the bond yeah. that that was created at a deeper level at that moment in time has just stayed, and and that's why, you know, it's it's special, man. It was it was different covering this team pre o five pre o six. I know because I did it. It's. It's just been different ever since, and in, in, in a great and very organic way that is impossible, obviously, to recreate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this organization went from, you know, potentially moving its team and reconstructing a fan base in San Antonio to becoming a global brand. I mean, you know, the, the idea of New Orleans Saints fans is no longer just about New Orleans. It's global. I mean, the New Orleans Saints are probably the second or third most popular team in the UK, I would imagine. I mean, they were one of the first teams to go there and win, <laughs> you know? And so uh, I think you look at where this organization has gone since 2006 and even all of the question marks before the 2006 season. Remember, you know, Reggie Bush was supposed to be the savior of the organization, not Drew Brees. There were mm-hmm. some people that didn't even want Drew Brees because he was coming off of that, that, um, that, you know, injury. And, uh, you know, then everything kind of shifted and changed. And then, you know, then we got, you know, 15, 16 years of Sean Payton and, you know, 14, 15 years of Drew Brees. And, you know, then all of a sudden everything kind of shifted and then the success came. And so it's, inter- it's, it's, it is, it is a funny thing, right? Like had the team moved, would they have found the same kind of success? Would they have made the same decision or would they, you know, instead of going after these like kind of scrappier guys that they went after, like Drew Brees and Sean Payton, would they have tried to make the bigger name moves that were available that off season instead? And therefore, you know, not found right. the same success, but then would have spent more money spent, you know, more on the, the, the pomp and circumstance, but then have nothing to show for it at the end of it. Like it's so interesting the way that everything could have changed because with relocation, comes the you know the magnifying glass with relocation comes the attention and the new new orleans was already receiving global attention 
but was receiving it in a different way. It was receiving it in a sympathetic way, right? Like, look what happened in this community. And whereas going to San Antonio, it would have been, I can't believe they moved the team yeah. away from that other community. You know what I mean? And so at that time, like, it would have been an entirely different optic. And that probably would have led to some, you know, poor decision-making, some overcompensation of trying to make sure that they found success as immediately as possible. And instead, they stayed home, and then they found success where it mattered. And uh, I think that's another piece of why this place is so special. Because I can't, I can't imagine walking or driving around New Orleans and not seeing Florida de Lis everywhere, not seeing the Saints font all over the place, not seeing, you know, the, the team stores and the memorabilia stores and the history and, and everything. Like that. I can't imagine this city, which is so rich in its own culture, saying it's a football team. I still can't even imagine it without its football team, everything. So it's, it's, it's a really kind of, you know, in that way, it's an entrenched piece of the culture and way of life here in the city of New Orleans. No doubt. And, um, and, and, beyond that into the Gulf South and over here, but in particular in the city because of the connection to, you know, everything that happened and the fear of losing everything. Uh, but it, here we are, and you mentioned it, Ross Jackson, our guest, you know, the the way the dominoes felt having to settle for leftovers, so to speak, whether it be with Drew Brees or, you know, Fajita, let's, let's, let's maybe pay this guy more on the open market than anyone else is because he has to, you know, we got to get someone to come here. We don't even know if we're our, ours, and he ends up being a key piece. We could go on and on, but throughout that, Ross, there's always kind of been that, that carryover since it happened with Brees and Peyton, and now yep. you are full on. There is, there is, there's nobody left from, from back then. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a new era. Um, in a lot of ways, that connection's still there, but it's a new era. And we talked about you know expectations this season and and what to anticipate, but the passion is still there from everybody. And I know they follow you at Ross Jackson Nola. Um, I I was in a sour mood because I just I don't know I'm kind of a a, a, a Debbie Downer when it comes to the preseason. You know I'm just too worried about injury, and then the pinning thing happened, and and I was on the air yesterday, and you know I had, I had to get calmed down a little bit. But I had concerns about the O line in terms of depth. It was one of my bigger concerns on the team. When you lose your first round pick, who he might not have been starting week one, but but you know he was he's the future there. He needs the reps. All this stuff. You have less depth. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it? I know that, that there are some concerns at linebacker. I get it, but is O line in terms of question marks the number one question mark on this roster right now as a whole? I would say that it's the number one concern for sure. I mean, the the question part of it is is pretty simple, right? James Hurst is going to be your starter at left tackle. He was kind of already in line to be your starter. Landon Young was back at practice yesterday, so it gives you some versatile depth in terms of left and right tackle. But you still need something else you still need maybe a veteran piece of depth or just another you know player in terms of depth and so i think that the concern that's there is probably the largest in terms of the other positions because the other positions you're kind of just going okay everything's sort of in place at linebacker you just have to figure out which group you're keeping everything's sort of in place at you know wide receiver you just need to know which group you're keeping whereas with with offensive line, you're not really sure just yet what group is being kept, particularly those that have the tackle backup versatility, right? So I think that that, that tackle depth 
over on that side, on the left side, is really, really important. And I think that it's probably the, the largest outstanding concern um, at this time. But you kind of know what you have to do there, and it's not impossible, especially with roster cuts and more and more teams moving on from more and more high-profile players this season, it feels like. Um, you know, there will be opportunities to, to land, you know, that player and make sure that you get somebody that you really like in terms of experience and depth there behind James Hurst, who's dealt with his own injury over the course of this offseason. So all the more reason to load up at the position a little bit. That's, I like how you put it, uh, top concern. If you're going to get a run of really fortunate injury luck at one positional unit, I think I think that's got to be number one. You know, barring quarterback, which is you know by nature the position right. always number one. But you know, for that quarterback to have a lot of success, you need that O line in place. Uh, I have heard through a source, Ross, that uh, Alvin Kamara is on the fifty-three man roster. Uh, he will not be cut today. Uh, we know, we know, of, we know of the guys that are. Uh, we we know the guys that are safely on the team. Um, give me a couple of bubble guys in your mind. Maybe one that you're like, I think he's going to make it. I'm not sure. I think he's not going to make it. I'm not sure who are, in your opinion, as the Saints have to get down to 53 today. And then, of course, that's today. It could change in a few days based on other teams' roster cuts. But mm-hmm. who are the top bubble guys in your mind that are hoping to uh, not get a phone call today that uh, you know they're being released? Yeah, I think Kirk Merritt is one wide receiver running back and, of course, Destrehan native. Um, I think he's shown you a lot in terms of what he's able to do. And one of the things that Dennis Allen has said sort of repeatedly in a bunch of different ways over the course of training camp is effectively the more that you can do on the team, the more valuable you become. And I can't find a guy that has shown you what more he can do on a team than Kirk Merritt. Um, he was making plays early on in camp at wide receiver he was making plays early on and throughout camp on special teams. He had a big 59-yard kick return against the Green Bay Packers. Then all of a sudden, you know, the dome practice comes a couple of days after the Packers game, and he's taking snaps at running back. And then he spent that entire week in the running backs room. And I think that's where he really picked up attention is when they moved him over to running back, and everybody kind of went, oh, Ty Montgomery, there's a role for him and everything. But even before that, he was making plays as a wide receiver and would have probably been the star of camp had it not been for you know, huge stories like Michael Thomas's return and Tyron Matthew and Jarvis Landry showing up in New Orleans and Paulson Adebo's incredible camp. Like, had it not been for those, you know, Kirk Merritt was probably the maybe the fourth or fifth, you know, biggest story in terms of camp, in terms of, you know, playmaking, right? Kind of like, a, you know, we think of him maybe an Emmanuel Butler who made, you know, these incredible plays during camp but couldn't find a way to put it up um, when it came to special teams and they couldn't find a way to uh, get it going in the preseason games, and Kirk Merritt has, you know, been able to do all of that. So I think he's probably my bubble guy that I think can make the roster. It, it just depends upon the roster numbers, and it might not be the initial 53-man roster. The Saints might have to carry some guys in the initial 53-man roster that they ended up that they end up moving to injured reserve, and then maybe going back to the market to add people back to uh, the active roster. So just something to watch there. Um, a guy that I think is a bubble guy that I don't think is going to uh, make the team, at least not the, the initial 53-man roster, is linebacker Nephi Sewell. I, I don't know if there is an undrafted free agent that makes the roster this year, wow. which is really unusual for the New Orleans Saints. But I'm trying to think about like the guys that came in as UDFAs and you know some of the higher-profile guys like like Nephi Sewell, like um, you know Dejon Dixon, like 
um, you know, Abram Smith, who's already been been released, um, you know, uh, Rashid Shahid. I think, you know, Dejon Dixon is probably the one that has, Dejon Dixon and Lewis Kidd are probably the two that have the, the most opportunity ahead of them to potentially make the, the initial video three man roster, but it just depends upon numbers at their position. Lewis Kidd maybe is the closest one because, you know, he plays tackle, right? So you're looking for that offensive line depth and maybe you make the initial 53 because of that. Uh, but, you know, Nephi Sewell is somebody that really came onto the scene big time, right? They really exploded onto the scene the last week of camp. Usually those, those guys don't make rosters right away. Um, you know, he, he got moved up into first team reps, looked pretty good during the preseason games, but I think because of the injuries that are there at linebacker, you kind of have to lean on the veteran depth because it just seems likely that you're going to have to play some of those guys at some point during the season. So because of that guys like Eric Wilson, John Bostick, Chase Hansen, Andrew Dowell, those guys kind of stick out a little bit more as kind of the more experienced players. And then, of course, you're going to see a lot of linebackers released over the next couple of days as well, including former first-round pick Jared Davis, who's on the market now. So, you know, you might see, you know, a newer name before you see um, Nephi Sewell, who I think has shown you a lot to like. And I think that he is a very good player, and I think he'll be a prime practice squad guy that will probably see some elevations this year. But I don't know that the numbers are going to work out in his favor. Ross Jackson, host of the Saints uh, Locked on Saints podcast, daily podcast. Subscribe, follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola. Is Ian Book going to make the roster, Ross? I it, it some of this comes down to the roster numbers more than it comes down to just his performance because I thought that he had a, a really he had the best performance of his career against the Chargers and that was right on time. However, I don't know that he does make the roster because I don't know that the Saints keep three quarterbacks, especially when you have Taysom Hill right. already taking up a roster spot for you in you know at, at tight end right. So you've already kind of got three quarterbacks on the roster without having to take up a third quarterback roster spot, the Saints were usually unusual in that way during the regular season, carrying three quarterbacks throughout the regular season. Most teams will only carry two. And so I could see Ian Book making it back to the practice squad. There was reported trade interest on him before the season even began last year. Could that still be there this year, especially considering the Los Angeles Chargers game and the way that he played in that one? Uh, But I think more than likely he ends up on the Saints practice squad and he's an emergency quarterback for them from that perspective but i don't know that he makes the initiative that he makes the 53 man roster uh, i i yeah i'm kind of leaning that way as well um and he might have done enough to in that last game to kind of stick around on the practice squad but perform very poorly you know in the first two games to where maybe the the market form outside of nola isn't strong and so you're not worried about or maybe not super worried about anyone claiming him off of waivers and if they do you know you wish mm-hmm. him well but but right. to your point about Taysom Hill, I mean, let's be honest, even though he's unlikely to play quarterback in the traditional sense this year, he he's the third string quarterback. I mean, if it yeah. if, if it got down to Taysom Hill or Ian Book and you need to win a game, I don't I don't think they're starting Ian Book on Sunday. I think if if something happened to Jameis and Dalton, I think Taysom's the guy that's getting his number called. Yeah, I think it would be you know, I think that Kind of like years ago, what we saw to where the Saints were like, you know, in game, if they needed to get down to that player, then maybe, yeah, you would go to Ian Book. But week to week, right, if you had a week in between, then you, you get Taysom ready. And I think that that's, you know, kind of like what we saw when Drew got injured during that San Francisco mm-hmm. 49ers year. They put, Jay, they put Jameis Winston in because it was an in-game injury, and they didn't want to change Taysom Hill's role during the game, but then they went to Taysom Hill after that. 
So I think that that's exactly what you would see um, with these things. And, and look, it's tough. It's hard for any player to go out there and earn a job in the NFL, right? But it's even harder when you have to not only convince a team to keep you, but you would have to convince the team to build an extra roster spot for you. And that's kind of where Ian Book is because you have the three quarterbacks on the roster already. So Ian Book is not only trying to convince the Saints, hey, keep me around on the roster. I deserve a job. He's also saying, oh, by the way, make that roster spot for me and commit effectively a fourth roster spot to a quarterback. That's hard to convince a team to do. And I, I, you know, any player, it's hard to convince a team to do that. Paulson Adebo, I know you don't have all the details yet, but you know he's missed some time recently. Is there is there a player that you're concerned? Okay, I don't think they're about to go on IR or pup, but they may not be ready week one. Yeah, you know the the Paulson Adebo one's a little bit concerning because he just just kind of. I mean, I know where the injury happened and things like that, but like it, he just kind of disappeared <laughs> and everything, and and then just didn't show up anymore. And so we're trying to figure out exactly like what the severity of that injury is because it, it, it feels almost unceremonious in a way, right? Like usually you get, you know, you, you pepper the questions and everything like that around, you know, what happened and all these other things. But like, it's just kind of been all quiet. So I, I don't know if that, that quietness is a good thing or a bad thing. I, I think that right now you're just trying to kind of understand maybe what the, the process is through the new director of sports science, Matt Reyes eyes. Is it, a situation to where the Saints are being a little bit more kind of cautious around what players, you know, recoveries look like and making sure that they're taking the time and that they're not rushing back? Or are there just more serious injuries? And I do think it's a little bit more the former, but it does, you know, clearly take a little bit of getting used to <laughs> for sure. So I don't know if there's anybody that I'm super concerned about that outside of Trevor Pinning right now in terms of being unavailable. Uh, for week one, but you know, uh, Paul Sinadivo, Michael Thomas, definitely two players to keep an eye on, but so far there's been no indication that the two won't be available to go week one, but certainly one that we'll continue to watch. All right. Last question about the saints for you, Ross. We appreciate you taking the time as always. We talked special teams a few weeks ago, right? You know, Will Lutz, you know, JT Gray, you know, Blake Gilligan, you know, you know, uh, (laughs) You know, was Zach Wood like? There's there's certain spots you know. Okay, that's their role. They're on the team, but they they were they were trying out some different guys at Gunner. They were trying out some different players. I know Kevin White got released, but uh, they've been you know the emphasis that this franchise really started to put on special teams in 2017. The shift that that proved to be mm-hmm. a big difference maker. I think when you talk about you know, the Saints of, of the, the below, you know, the non-winning teams of 14, 15, 16, you know, no one really remembers. They, they, Brandon Browner gets talked about a lot or an injured Jairus Bird. The special teams are pretty awful outside of Morstead. Mm-hmm. And in, since 2017, they've, they've gotten better each year. Last year being the exception, but it was the exception because Will Lutz got hurt. And then you had some other injuries opposite JT Gray. Uh, who, who in your mind has stood out there, aside from the obvious guys we talked about, that you think, all right, they've 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 done a good job, and they have a good chance to make this team, and it's not going to be one of those celebrated. Oh man, this this receiver, this DB made the team. What? Because folks may not initially be realizing. Oh, it's because of what they did on special teams. Yeah, I'll mention one guy that I think you know we've we've talked about in the past before as a special teamer, but it's kind of all been it's been a little bit quiet around him so far this season. But he's just kept his head down and done the same level of quality work. 
it's Andrew Dowell. Um, you know, there's effectively five of six linebacker spots, I think, uh, are claimed at this time. You have your three starters in terms of Demario Davis, Pete Warner, and Caden Ellis. Uh, that's going Mike weak side sure. and then strong side. And then to me, it's the two veterans, Eric Wilson and John Bostic. But then who takes the sixth spot? Is, there, is that a place where Nephi Sewell does sneak in? Is that a place where Chase Hansen sneaks in? Or is that a place where Andrew Dowell pops up? And if I'm asked to make a decision between those three guys, I'm going to go the Dennis Allen route. You know, I'm going to try to think like Dennis Allen here and say the person that brings you, you know, that can do the most, you know, that can do more things on the roster or for the team carries the most value. And for me, that's Andrew Dowell, who has continuously shown you that he's a fantastic special teamer. He's a core special teamer. And he's a different type of special teamer. He's not a gunner, right? He's one of the up men. He's kind of an H-back. He's one of those guys that's going to, you know, be flying up the middle of the field, not the perimeter of the field. But then he's also going to be blocking for you on punt returns. I mean, he's just a tenacious player. And he's a pretty good linebacker, too. You know, like, let's not forget that he has a natural position to play as well. And so I look at that sort of multiplicity and sort of that versatility, and I think, okay, that's a player that should be able to, you know, hang on, you know, that might hang on to a roster spot because of what he does in special teams. Another player that I don't think is necessarily fighting for a roster spot, but that, you know, does have real potential at gunner is rookie Alonzi Taylor. One of the reasons why they brought him in is because of his ability to potentially not only contribute, but impact the game on special teams. And I think his, you know, four, what was it? Four, 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 three speed, very fast player. I think that that speed obviously, you know, gives you a lot of opportunity downfield and you know that, you know, and as a DB and as a very good tackling DB, He's built to be able to contribute on special teams, especially early on in his career. Now, his hope is that he grows into more than that, and that he becomes, you know, a, you know, a player at the position in terms of on the defense at corner. But for right now, if he gets the opportunity as he's getting healthier to maybe step into that gunner role, I could see that for him at some point during 2022, even if it doesn't start there at the beginning of the season with him, him having missed some time here toward the end of camp. Ross Jackson has been our guest. An important day for the Saints and across the NFL, making roster cuts down to 53 players by 3 o'clock this afternoon. Waiver period uh, until 11 a.m. Players uh, practice squad, I think at 11.01 tomorrow you can start signing. And uh, and then tomorrow afternoon um, players can go on the IR designated to return. And so you'll see a 53-man today. But, Ross, you and I both know, um, <laughs> wait a couple of days. Wait a couple yeah. of days. It's, 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 it's going to be a big story. And then, I don't know, I, I feel like every year it, it, I, I get some calls week one or two, like, I thought that guy was cut, or I thought that guy didn't make the team, or I thought this happened. And it's like, yeah, he did, and then he didn't. So right. follow it today, but the story's not over yet. Um, and then you've got a long time. Before kickoff, I say a long time. I just I'm ready for kickoff, man. I you know I, I think it hit me last week. It was like Wednesday or Thursday. I'm like, okay, all right. I've I've watched Hard Knocks. You know, I've, I've been I've been out to UL Rage Occasion. The fall camp's over. I saw some of that. Like I, I week zero with respect in college football, it just didn't do it for me. The preseason, right. I it's like a horror movie for me. I'm just waiting for something bad to happen. That's me psychologically. I know. Don't make fun of me. I just I want this thing to kick off, man. I'm ready for the season. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And and one more note on the roster changes too is that you're going to see you know a flurry of moves today. You'll see a flurry of moves over the next couple of days, and then you'll see another flurry of moves post week one after the week one game because um, uh, contracts aren't guaranteed mm-hmm. after week one. So any contracts that you sign after that point 
for the teams, they, that's not guaranteed pay. So if you're seeing big names floating around the market that aren't playing week one, like if an Indomitian Sioux still doesn't sign by that time or, or something like that, after week one makes a lot of sense for some of these guys to sign these contracts, at least on the team side, because all those contract numbers are non-guaranteed, and so the teams aren't necessarily on the hook for them beyond the game checks. So that's yet another example of you know getting one or two weeks in, things will continue to change. Ross Jackson has been our guest. If you're not following him, do it now. At Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. Um, subscribe to his podcast on the Locked On Network, Locked On Saints, and uh, check out all of the things he has going on. He's a writer. He's an insider. And uh, formerly a Broadway stage manager. I'm glad I got it right, Ross. I appreciate you taking the time, as always, my friend. And I look forward to talking to you maybe sometime next month after there's a few uh, regular season games under our belt. Yeah, yeah, let's get some football action in, and then, uh, and then more than happy to, to speak with you anytime, buddy. I appreciate you. Thanks so much, as always, for having me on. Take care and stay safe, man. You got it. That is Ross Jackson of the Locked On Saints Network. Great Scott show continues after this. CSP and Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Who is auditioning this year in college football? I'll explain. We're counting down the days till Raging Cajun football. I'm Jay Walker. Join Gerald Broussard, Cody Juno, and me from Cajun Field on Saturday, September 3rd as Louisiana takes on Southeastern. Kickoff time is 6.30 on your home of the Raging Cajuns. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. You watch. This is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Move me. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Jay Walker joining me in studio next hour. Appreciate Ross Jackson coming on. So, as conference realignment continues, and the Big Ten and the SEC look to power up super conferences, and some of your other P5 conferences are teetering, and maybe they're like the ACC, which had a really bad television deal, or teams in the Pac-12 that had a really awful television deal. You know, there are some schools that are fighting to get a piece of the pie, that one in, that can say all they want publicly, our membership to being in this conference is, we are fully committed, unwavering. Yeah, until a conference calls and says, you want to go? Yeah, what's the buyout fee? I don't know. Let's figure it out. Okay, it's this much. But in five years, you're going to make that back tenfold. Okay, let's do it. What happened to unwavering? Yeah. (laughs) The waves died down. The water was no longer choppy. We saw we could just take this cruise ship right to the bank. And while the Big Ten will always try to lure Notre Dame into the fold, always, Notre Dame is going to do everything they can to just remain independent as Notre Dame in football. And when you look around the Pac-12 with uh, USC and UCLA on their way to the Big Ten eventually, you've got some other schools in there, and you're like, would that make sense? So you could say Oregon and Washington. Just based on athletic budget, history, name, 
Here's the thing. If if the Big Ten wants to add Oregon and Washington, who I'm sure would love to go because Larry Scott, his great deal he made back when he was the Pac-12 commissioner, I keep saying Pac-10, Pac-12, you know it. It's all the same. You know, it, it, the, the teams in the Pac-12 got $21 million less in TV money uh, contract distribution than Big Ten universities did. And by 2024, the gap will be $50 million. That is a huge number. And if Oregon and Washington were to join the, the Big Ten, their television markets wouldn't generate... It, 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 it wouldn't generate the kind of money that the Big Ten wants when they're adding teams at this point. USC and UCLA play in L.A. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but I think you have to factor in maybe a school like an Arizona State. Of course, they need to be good and relevant. Yeah. I mean, Washington State, they might have to join the Mountain West at some point. That's just a reality. But I'm sure in Pullman, they're not thrilled about having conference games against San Jose State. They're not. Oregon and Washington, yeah. Cal and Stanford, now that's what you need to keep an eye on. Because how much more money would that bring in to a Pac-10 television deal? The answer, uh, a lot. A lot. Now look, the speculation, the questions... Everything regionally across the nation since USC and UCLA said, eh, Pac-12, yeah, we've been in here for 107 years or see ya. You see that TV deal the Big Ten has? Cool. Cool. Because once the Big Ten starts having to expand and they bring in, say, a San Diego State, okay, is that going to... Want to convince Washington or Oregon or potentially Cal or Stanford to stay? No. Schools are completely united into their conference until they're not. Especially when contractually it's not going to cost them uh, a, a unrealistic number to exit. Problem is, in the ACC, that's a pretty large number. And the lawyers who combed over that contract over and over and over again, when all the conferences agree to stay put through 2034, you don't think some lawyers for Clemson have combed through that thing and Florida State have looked through that ACC contract and North Carolina over and over and over again to see if they can somehow get out? Oh, they have. Because while Mike Slive will say, yeah, we don't really need to add anybody, and he's not lying. The SEC doesn't need to. You're adding Texas and Oklahoma in, what, two years. But if you could add a Clemson and a Florida State, oh, yeah, they'd do it, especially if the Big Ten continues to add. See, conference realignment has been a big talk in the offseason, but now that college football games have started, it'll take a back seat for a little while. For a little while. But in my mind, 
it's going to be a shadow hanging over a number of these P5 schools that are still in a conference and have no current plans to leave but want to leave. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma could play in the Big 12, and USC and UCLA could play in the Pac-12. We know where they're eventually heading. But I'm talking about those other schools, like Oregon, like a Washington, like a Cal, like a Stanford. They want out, like a Clemson, like a Florida State. Although I think, as you've seen with UC, USC and UCLA, you're able to get out of a contract with the Pac-12. At this point, it's much harder to get through the one in the ACC. Jay Walker in studio. Next on the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. ESPN 1420, KPEL Lafayette. ESPN 1033, K277DQ Lafayette, a town square media station. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Welcome into the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show on a Tuesday and sitting across from me, the legend himself. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Jay Walker is here. Good morning. Hi. It's game week. Yes. I know, I know. You got a lot to do before game day. Got a lot to do before game day. Thank you for coming on. And, um, you know, when I say game College game day. What do you think about? Or what, what person do you think about? Uh, Corso. Correct. See, I didn't ask you that beforehand, but I knew you were going to say that. Right. Lee is 87 years old. Yeah. And and I, this may be a sacrilege, but it's time for Lee to step down. Oh. He, I don't think he can do it anymore. Oh, he's doing it. I, I know he's trying, but boy, I'll tell you, every telecast, there's... There's something he says that makes me just shake my head. I, I I realize the man's a legend and an icon, but I think it's time. All you need is a remote control to put it on and see that it's 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 nearing an end. Yeah, many feel like this will this could you know this will be the last year, and yet, I mean, his picks are highly entertaining. You can't replicate that with anyone else. I get why ESPN is trying to continue this. Oh, sure. And for Lee, I mean, the guy's been involved in college football for 64 years straight. Um, but as we know, age is undefeated. And, you know, his, he's had some lingering speech issues. He had a, a very serious stroke, and that was back in 09, I think. Um, I just... College game day has been sort of the go-to college football show for so many years. Mm-hmm. When they lose Corso, I mean, Fowler, I love Fowler. Fowler's great. 
I've had him on the show before. He got replaced by Reese Davis, and it was like, that was fine. Some people still think Fowler hosts the show, and he hadn't for years. Herb Street, okay, he's a star. I get it, but heck, he's he might be doing other stuff soon. I mean, he's Thursday night football color analyst now with, with Al Michaels. Like, is he going to want to stick around? I guess where I'm going at, Jay, is what happens to college game day when Lee Corso isn't there? Well, you know, he's irreplaceable, okay? I mean, very simple, he's irreplaceable. So the show has a gap that's never going to get filled. And, you know, it's going to give um, the Fox Saturday morning show uh, an opportunity to uh, to do some damage. We'll see. His role last week was diminished a lot. You get the sense that he's he's just there were some delays the the scripted time I mean I don't know if he's going to make it through the season and I that think was, that was my thought you know I, I which is sad um, he was doing some of his portions remotely do you do you announce that this is it do you kind of because from a from a from a producing standpoint. If you're an executive, even if he is struggling with aspects of it now based on his health and age, there is some ratings that come with that. There is a celebration. And I don't even think it's done in poor taste. I think it would be good to do. I I, I don't know if they're worried that maybe he just, it, it he won't be able to get through. So you don't want to do that. But I, I, I would, if I was there, I would say, let's, Let's make the announcement. Let's celebrate him. You could have vignettes every week that show some of his old great stuff. And I do think because he is, I'm sure there's someone listening out there that's like, I never liked him. His approval rating is really high. It I is mean, very he's, high. He's very much, he never was like Lou Holtz where they're like, all right, get him off the TV. He's, he's like, you see him and you just smile, you laugh. I think they should do that. I feel like they should announce, you know, this is his last season. Let's celebrate it. And people would be asking what's next. Be like, I'll worry about that later. Right now, let's just celebrate Lee. I think that would be the route to go, but it doesn't seem like they want to do that. Um, and if you do that, maybe they want more of them. I don't, I don't know the answer here. This is a, uh, it's tough when, 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 when broadcasters are getting older and they're legendary. And in the case of Corso though, I mean, he's 87. Yeah. I'm I'm here to tell you I will not be doing this at age 87. I don't know. I mean, future of medicine? You don't think so? Uh, no. No. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Look, if you're going to replace Corso, you just have to go somewhere. You don't. You don't try to replicate anything. Yeah, you, you'd have to come up with a different sort of shtick, I guess. Yeah, but I. The thing is, you know, people would say, well, what about Pat McAfee? I know he's this name that gets thrown around for literally everything. And and he's great, but that's the thing. He does so many different things. Part of what's worked for Corso is that, that's it. There's not, you know, Herb Street, you could see him all over the place. You could see him in different aspects. You see, with Corso, it's just college game day. And I think there's there's value in that whenever it's like, that's it. So you try to replace them. I, I don't know. I feel like ESPN, I think some of the other shows are going to try really hard to put a lot of, they're going to invest a whole bunch into their equivalent of what college game day is. 
uh, whenever whenever Lee is done because I, I think it's I think it changes things. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Um, week zero, Jay. Mm-hmm. How about old about old Scott Frost there? You know, the I knew as soon as Nebraska lost a football game, okay, that he was going to be front and center. And what does he do? He goes out and, and goes out and loses week zero. And every time Nebraska loses this year, some talking head is going to say, well, was that the last game for Scott Frost? You know, he's on the hot seat. We all know he's on the hot seat. They lost. Conference game. They lost by one possession again. They lost because of a bad special teams call that he said was his choice. Well, that's what he's going to say. Well, I don't know. He's got a new offensive coordinator, and he criticized the offense in the postgame. So I, I think Frost, if he wasn't, if he wasn't a Nebraska alum and they didn't really, really want him so badly to succeed because of how much he loves the school. He probably would have been replaced a year ago because... Yeah, probably. You know, they didn't like Pelini, but Pelini was out there going 9-3 and three most years and competing, and that wasn't good enough. And I, I said this yesterday. I was like, look, I, I, I feel bad for Nebraska fans. I've been there with you. It is, It really is college football royalty in a lot of ways. But you saw their consecutive game sellout streak snap. You've seen the the, the the winds are changing a little bit. And I, I want so badly for that fan base and that team to be as relevant as they once were. I would love for Nebraska to be Nebraska again. I would. I'd love it. But what they are now is is this. And I don't think... I just don't... I don't in, in today's landscape of college football, I think it's going to be awfully difficult for them to ever, they're never going to get back to what they were in the in the 90s and the first decade of the early part of the 2000s. Are they? Probably not. But, you know, you got to at least get to the point where you're competing. Yeah. You know, to, to where your fans, who are some of the best fans in all of college football, um, have a reason to be passionate again. Uh, I'd... No, I would I would love for them to have a bounce back and be a consistent eight, nine, occasionally a ten win team. I think that'd be great. Did you watch that UTEP North Texas game you were interested in? No, it was it was on stadium, okay? And and I wasn't about to try to sit down and figure out how to find it. <laughs> I didn't want to see it that bad. And as it turned out, it wasn't that good a game. No, I told everyone, I said, I'm no betting expert, but I I promise you, take the under. I think early on it was 55. I'm like, these teams scored 37 last year. The best player on the field is gone. They're 3,000 feet higher. Last year they had 19 punts in the game and ran it 82 times. They're not going to be lighting up the scoreboard. And they didn't. Um, week zero needs one more. They, they need, I don't know, they need a one bigger matchup to really get into it. But... As far as Nebraska goes, getting back to it, I don't, I, I don't, it was a bad spot for them because for a lot of college football fans, that's probably the only full Nebraska game they're going to watch this year. Once there are other, once all the games are going and there's other options, it's never going to be like the premier game. And so they lose again. There's a 
really bad onside kick call. They lose by one possession. Like that's going to be, that's what everyone's going to remember for everyone. That's what most are going to remember about Nebraska this season. Even if they finish, you know, seven and five or whatever, that's going to be the, it's, it's a tough spot to be, man. It's a tough spot to be. You want the Cajuns to go play a game in Ireland? I'd love it. That'd be pretty cool. I'd love it. Go to Dublin, hang out for a while. I'm, I'll, I'll sign off on that right now. You talked to uh, Coach Desimo last night and Christy Gray, volleyball coach for UL. And, um, you know, I had Coach Desimo on yesterday. And, boy, you, you can just tell they're, they're sick of waiting, man. Oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> he, is, he is tired, said, you know, what did he say yesterday? He's like, Jake DeLone came and talked to us. He's like, y'all are going to have to answer a lot of questions. He's like, I feel like that's all we've done since last December is just answer questions. We finally get to actually answer them on the field this week. He uh, he made the comment last night. He said, I'm tired of talking about what we don't have. He said, I want to talk about what we do have because what we do have is a good football team with quality depth and we're ready to go play. But he he's tired of hearing about the guys in the portal and the seniors and he's tired of hearing about it. The um, and and that is the first time. Now, you know how long have I known Mike? Okay, it's, it's been a while. Seventeen years might be the first time I've ever heard him sound irritated. Yeah, well, <laughs> they, he and the and the team have a big chip on their shoulder. They do. And uh, I asked him yesterday. I said, "Listen, I know as a coach when things are going well." You 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 want to guard against eating the cheese, right? You want to you say, look, just keep you. I said, but when things are going well, and maybe you're not getting the recognition that perhaps you think you should get as a team, considering you know programs won 13 games in a row. You're not ranked. You're only getting a few votes. Like you may not be putting in the in the locker room. Hey, we're ranked this week, but you're definitely going to be put in there. Hey, we're not even ranked, and we did this. And he was like, listen, my personality, the personality of a lot of guys on this roster is that they've been overlooked. They all have a chip on their shoulder. And when it comes to things like that, he said, yeah, we'll, we'll point that out to him. We'll point – because Andre Jones, he, he, he told me, he's like, look, we never talk about the 13-game win streak. I was like, okay, coach, but do you talk about the fact that you're not ranked and no one's really – and he was like, you know, in the preseason poll, we were voted to win the West, but it was just kind of <laughs> – he had – the chip is is big this year. Good. And I think it's I think that's natural for a competitor like him, but I think to his point, these guys are tired of answering questions. Mm-hmm. They're just ready to play. They're uh, and the opening line is minus fourteen. Look, Southeastern had a really good year last year. They're one of the better teams in the FCS. But you lost a pretty dang good quarterback. You did. You you lost some other players too. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think Southeastern's got a really nice club. And despite the fact that they've lost Cole Kelly, uh, they've got players. They got a couple of first team FCS All Americans in the defensive backfield. They they got players now. They got players. And yet. You know, you go to the quarterfinals last year in the FCS, 
and a team that's now in your league hung 50 on them. So, we'll see. ESPN Lafayette, pregame at 4 o'clock this Saturday, right here on ESPN Lafayette and uh, from Learfield. Rage Cajun Sports Network, Richie Falgo and Steve Pelequin pregame, Jay Walker, Gerald Broussard in the booth, Cody Judo on the sideline. I'll have halftime for you. I'll have postgame highlights. Here we go. This Saturday, the season kicks off. Um, LSU kicks off their season one day later. Brian Kelly's playing coy as far as who's starting quarterback, but everyone feels like it's going to be Jaden Daniels. I think if it's Nussmeyer, it's a surprise. Do you? A lot of coaches. This isn't. This isn't anything new. Coaches yeah. have done it. They wait until. Oh, HUD did it. Sure, a couple sure. times. Yeah, they wait and they wait and like we don't want to tell. Every now and then, I get it because you truly don't know. But I maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment. Jay, I feel like ninety five percent of the time when it's quarterback and a coach does this, everyone kind of already knows. Yeah, and you know. Well, you know, we have a competitive advantage by not telling. Dude, if you're scared, say you're scared. Come on. Be a big boy. You know, it's like Sarkeesian deciding he's not going to release a depth chart at all, all season long. Dude, if you're scared, say you're scared. If you've got to do that to try to get a competitive advantage, maybe you don't have a hell of a lot of confidence in your team. Yeah. So I'm I'm not in favor of what Kelly's doing. Uh, I think it's... a. Well, I mean, by game one, like, all right, we want him to prepare for maybe two quarterbacks. And, you know, it. I have seen teams have to prepare for two quarterbacks and not blink an eye. And, you know, LSU's got the advantage because, heck, Florida State played last week, so they got some film to watch. Florida State's got nothing. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't. I just don't get it. If it's Nussmeyer, I will be very surprised. I will. I will too. Um, and then Monday night, you have Clemson, Georgia Tech. Clemson ranked in the top four. You and I are in agreement. Most overrated team right now. Uh, most overrated team not named Notre Dame. Really. Clemson's not finishing in the top 10. Is Notre Dame going to finish in the top 10? Uh, They might only because of the schedule they play. They'll they'll win nine games and people put them in the top 10 because they're Notre Dame. Will Notre Dame end up in the Big Ten at some point with all of this conference realignment? Not while I still have breath. They're going to do everything they can not to do it. Mm -hmm. They're looking for big money paydays. May happen while you have breath. Who... In your mind, what college football teams, because football is driving this conference realignment, who essentially in your mind is maybe auditioning this year? I was talking about this last hour. There's a few teams in the Pac-12 that I I think most folks might think of Oregon and Washington because of some prestige there, some history. But if the Big Ten wants to go to this super conference and they're looking at a few more teams on the West... From a market value standpoint, Cal and Stanford make more sense. I I think if they were going to go ahead and add more than USC and UCLA, they'd have done it. I 
I'm not buying this business of, oh, well, you know, we might take more of those guys. No, you know who's, you know who's auditioning for a bigger conference? Florida State. Because sooner or later, that, that contract, yeah. sooner or later, that contract is going to get negotiated out or bought out. or that Florida State is, is now, they're auditioning to be an SEC team. I think I mentioned Florida State last hour. I think when it comes to Florida State, North Carolina, and Clemson, the my thought is whoever negotiated that contract and convinced them all out of fear to sign it and lock them in to twenty thirty four. Don't you think some lawyers have already combed through this thing? Of a course lot? they have. Like, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they already be trying to? You don't think who one said, of them would already be out? Who said they're not? They may just be doing it behind closed doors. It'd be tough. I, they, you, may you, not, they may not be ready yet. It'd be tough to do behind closed doors. But to your point, Jay, when that Texas OU announcement happened a little over a year ago, we were all like, huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how they kept that thing under wraps, and they did. So it's possible, but I, I just I think that contract that they signed is a little more I think there's there's a, a, a I think it's there's there's more terms and conditions to read through than perhaps the Pac-12 one. That's where I'm at with it. Um, all right, getting back to college sports for a minute. What are your thoughts on South Carolina's live mascot being named the General? I I was unaware, didn't didn't know. You you didn't Don't. follow the story that there was a big push from the fans to name it Cock Commander. I, I have to say that no, I, I was not aware of that. For real, this for was real. like this is a big story last week. Uh, okay, well, you know, I must I must have been getting ready for a football season. The newspaper in South Carolina, the Charleston Post and Courier, had a poll of ten team names, and uh, Cock Commander was running away with it. Uh, and they actually had some history to that name because back in the early two thousands, the student newspaper did a poll and put it on there. But it was by accident. Now, this is a student newspaper, so you don't have as many editors. They put the name on there as a joke, and then before they edited it, it got sent out to the school. And then it just became a thing and then got brought back to life uh, with this unofficial poll they put out. Uh, But the state newspaper, the, the 10 naming options for the rooster, they did not have the general down there. And they ended up choosing the general. With the amount of... Coverage that um, Cock Commander got last week. Look, the school and the media will call the the live rooster the general, but everyone else is calling it Cock Commander. You know, I I think general's a terrible name. Okay. They, they claim they did it to recognize Thomas Sumter, a general who fought during the Revolutionary War. Um, okay, well, yeah, and he had a fort named after him. That's where the Civil War started. Um, true, true story. Shots fired on Fort Sumter, started the Civil War. But they could call him General Sumter or Sumpt or something. You know, because when I hear the general, I think of the Shaquille O'Neal commercial. <laughs> that's right. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I, I, you know, it's, here's South Carolina's mascot, and I'm going to be looking for this little midget general coming out. They get a lot of free pub out of this thing. Oh, hell yeah, they do. Sometimes when you get an unofficial nickname that just uh, uh, a fan base picks up, it doesn't matter what you do after that. It's just going to stick. Cock Commander will live on. There you are. 
337-269-1077. If you want to call on the show, we can take a few phone calls before we get to TTT. Let's head to the phone lines now. Good morning. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. Hello. Well, hello, guys. Um, I think maybe the reason why these coaches aren't naming their uh, lineups or quarterbacks or whatever is because of the transfer portal. I don't think Sarkeesian not... No, no. Because and the NIL. This, this, isn't a a new, this isn't a new thing, though. You know, this has no, been going is, on right. for a long time. Yeah, you're right. This is, well, th- Harbaugh, uh, from what I understand, Harbaugh is going to play one quarterback one game, start one quarterback one game, and start one quarterback the next game. Yeah, he, he said it was, it, was, it was biblical in nature. But I think when we start using Jim Harbaugh as an example for anything, <laughs> for the norm of college football, we're, we're getting off track. Because he is, he is definitely is one of a kind. Of, Hold on, what is the norm of college football anymore? Not no Jim, not norm. not Jim Harbaugh. I'll say that. No, there, what is, there is no norm in college football anymore. I mean, when you when 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 you got what what has happened this past season and on next season, I can guarantee it's not going to get any better from here. It's only going downhill from here. This this whole. The way that the the way that the NCAA just completely relinquished its duty as the governor and uh, the governing body of college football completely, it, there is no there there's no rule there's no rules anymore. It's it's going to be complete chaos and anarchy. And it's just a question of how long. I mean, I'm telling you, this is going down a bad. It, it, we haven't even begun to see where this is going to go. It's going to get bad. It ain't going to get good. I can promise you that. Especially when you start throwing 18 year old kids and unlimited amounts of money into locker rooms together with each other. And a lot of these kids, a lot of them, you know, coming from places where. You know, they. Uh, I'm telling you, this is gonna. This is gonna turn bad. It's gonna turn really bad. And I don't think college. I don't think the people who run college sports. I don't even know if they care. I don't. I. I can tell you, they can't. They're not very intelligent. And for for, the, for these people to be running institutions of higher learning, they are proving that they're the pretty damn dumb. And, well, you know, uh, you're, and, you're, and we're going to see it play out. Your opinion, your opinion out. is not unique. I, you know, I think from the very day that name, image, and likeness came out, right on the heels of you can transfer without penalty. Everybody knew the toothpaste was out of the tube. We're just finding out the effects of it now. Oh, we haven't started to see the effects of it. Oh no, we're, we're seeing the effects of it, but you're right, it's going to be worse. You're right. But 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 we're not we're not going to sit here and say and we're not seeing the effects of it. Uh you know, Stevie Wonder is seeing the effects of it. Right. But I mean, we're, but but the, the, well, we're seeing the beginning yes. of the effects of it. I agree. We're not seeing all the toothpaste out of the tube yet. We're just seeing a little tip of it come out. Well, this you're going to get bad. You're um I mean, and and if I can predict this then it's obvious that it couldn't have been that hard for them to figure out what was going to happen. I don't understand why they, why these people, it could call themselves adults, how they could call themselves 
a governing body. It's real simple. No, you know what? There's an answer to that, though, Kyle. There's an answer to that. The reason they did what they did is they got their ass sued and they lost. And so they had to go ahead and make it feasible to for student athletes to go ahead and make money over their name, likeness, and image. And because it was such a highly publicized thing, and because it went for so many years, because this goes back to Ed O'Bannon in a video game two decades ago, because of that, they made it a big deal and basically said, okay, you know, it's almost like, you felt guilty for, for keeping Johnny's allowance, so you're going to give it all back to him at once. And that's basically what they did. Yeah, well, it's, 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 this is going to breed. Uh, it, this is, I'm just going to say, this is going to, I don't even know how professional, how professional athletics or professional football will survive eventually because of what's going to happen to college football, which is their feeder, you know, it's, it's their it's their way to get players. I just don't know how they're going to – they're going to have to – eventually, college sports, uh, as far as I'm talking about revenue-generating sports, are going to eventually have to break away from universities themselves. Might happen. Uh, yep. I, and in the future, that might be where it's going unless, uh, you know, the government gets involved uh, somewhat. But appreciate the call, Kyle. Which I, I like, I'll say this. I like that Kyle used one topic to try to get to what he really just wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of being like, here's what I think about NIL and, and college sports. He's like, you think this thing that's been happening for years and years when it comes to depth charts has anything to do with that? Uh, college football isn't going anywhere, but it is evolving. And in ways that five, ten years from now, we're going to say, man, we we weren't really sure where this was going, but here we are. ESP and Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome into the show. Hello. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. What's up? Okay, I just got a question. Partially, uh, I mean, I can't wait for college football to really kick off. That's a great part of the year. Uh, I keep hearing about, and I just had a question. Uh, I'm a Hurricane fan, and I came from Florida State, North Carolina, uh, and Clemson, the SEC. Where do you think Miami would fall? Do you don't think Miami would be an attractive program to the Big Ten or the SEC? And I'll hang up. You know, one of the things, and, and, and honestly, I'm going to deal from a position of ignorance here uh, because I don't know – how Miami is looked upon as an academic institution. And I, you know, one of the things that the SEC has done is with the, the, the teams that they have brought in in the last two expansions, they brought in teams that are very well thought of from an academic standpoint. I think Clemson and Florida state fit that bill as well. I, I, but I don't know about Miami. I mean, I, I'm dealing from ignorance here. Um, if they're not being considered, that might be why. Um, I don't think geography plays a part in it, even though they're you know so much farther south. I don't know. I it's just that I hear Florida State, Clemson, Florida State, Clemson all the time, and I haven't heard Miami at all. I will say this though: as a Miami fan, 
get ready to have fun because it's not going to be long. Coach Cristobal. Because Mario Cristobal is going to get it done there. I remember talking to him on the pregame show back when y'all would play FIU. That's right. I, I Miami, Miami's going to be very close very soon. When we called, uh, I, well, I was on color. You obviously play by play for ULFIU in. I remember what year that was. Oh eight, maybe. Oh, I don't know. I think it was in two thousand and eight. Um, or no, 2007. We were at the old Orange Bowl, and that visiting, you remember the visiting broadcast booth? You were on the roof. It was like a plastic box. on. Uh-huh. It, it felt like, you know, and like one of those magicians does like a stunt where they're in like a, a, a see-through box in water above a billboard, and they're like, I'm going to be here for 24 hours or some weird David Blaine thing. I think they just got one of those put it on top of the old Orange Bowl, which has since been turned down, and that's where the visiting radio team would call because we weren't in, like, a press box with everyone else. We just kept going up. No, we're we like, were in this little hut. Look at this thing. You know, it's one of the weirder games that I've ever broadcasted because you're on the roof of the Orange Bowl, which seats, like, 70-something thousand people. Yeah. You got about 600 fans there. It was late in the season, and both teams were were not good that year. I mean, the Cajuns ended up winning the game. Um, Grant Fleming had a big game that day. Antoine Sanders, they were good on defense, but I mean, both it was it was it was weird. It was empty, but we we're up in this glass box that felt like if a fast wind came through, we would just fall to our deaths. And you don't remember this, but that's when you know an elevator door knocked you over. <laughs> I laughed at you, and you did not laugh back. I don't even remember that. It was after the game. We were like rolling the equipment out. And typically an elevator door, when you put your hand in front of it, it goes back the other way. Well, this one did not. And Jay kind of stumbled a bit. You hadn't, you know, just you were ready to get outside of the stadium and like get on the bus. And when you looked up and saw me laughing, you you were not laughing. At all. Uh, happens sometimes. LSP, I'm about to slap you, was uh-huh. the look on his face. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Pro Football Hall of Famer, Morton Anderson. Yeah. Who Jay interviewed when he was promoting this record. When he was promoting that record, him and Brian Hansen together. Take it to the top. Louisiana opens up their football season this Saturday at home against Southeastern. What kind of crowd are you anticipating at Cajun Field? I was, I was asked that this morning. You know, we've had some pretty unsettled weather for about two weeks now. And it, and the forecast 
says we may have some more unsettled weather. All it takes is Rob Perillo or Heath Morton going on and say, hey, there's a 70% chance of rain, and people immediately say, okay, we're not going to the game. So I would love to see 25,000-plus in Mike's first game at Cajun Field as the head coach. But if there's a threat of rain, we're not going to get that. There is plenty of information to support that theory. That is not an opinion based on a small sample size. No. And, and you know, there are a lot of casual Cajun fans that, that you know, that Saturday is not necessarily priority for them. And, um, and it doesn't take much. Single game tickets, you can get them. Cajun on box office all week, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Special hours this week on game day. Uh, that one opens at 10 a.m. And then the others around Cajun Field by Gates, uh, C, D, and E by Russo Park. Those open at 1030 and shut down at the start of the third quarter. So, uh, And you can get tickets to the Cajun on box office for the following week. They're playing Eastern Michigan. It's on NFL Network. They want to have a sea of red. So wear red for that one. But um, first two games at home. You got, um, you've also got a thing where the Cajun Dome box office is going to be open until 6 o'clock uh, each night this week. And, you know, if there's some other games that intrigue you, you can go ahead and buy a three-pack. You can choose three home games and pay a discounted price. You can do that at the Cajun Dome box office this week as well. You can go ahead and make this one. If you want to do homecoming, you can. And if you want to, um, you know, pick the game that's on Jay's birthday, you can do that too. That one's against Troy. That's right. Jay's turning the big 5-0 on November 5th. Yeah, that. Speaking of, uh, you mentioned homecoming, tailgate for 50 from Fizo Seafood Steakhouse and Oyster Bar, UO Athletics, and us here at ESPN Lafayette. You can win it. They're going to set up the tent table chairs. They're going to be a wait staff. They're going to cook for you. They're going to provide the soft drinks, the water. You're going to have a prime tailgating spot. The only way you can get it is if you win it. And the only way to win it is to sign up. Click on tailgate for 50 on the ESPN Lafayette app or on the tailgate for 50 on ESPNLafayette.com on the What's Hot Bar. Good luck this week, Jay. Thank you. Look forward to hearing you Saturday for the season opener. Going to be fun. Dan Patrick shows next. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow, same time, same place. It's the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.